don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? My friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 693. And together, as we have for the past 17 plus years, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook, events, blog, and more. Please be sure to join the community, subscribe to the podcast, and find everything else at www.radio.com. Disney legend Jody Benson, the voice of The Little Mermaid, joins me this week to discuss her life and career, stories from the making of and life after The Little Mermaid, and her new book, A Part of My World. Then stay tuned for our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates and your voicemails at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back. Relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. It was in 1837 when Hans Christian Andersen wrote the fairy tale story about a young girl who lived under the sea and was willing to give her life as a mermaid in exchange for a human soul. But it wasn't until Disney's 1989 animated feature did my next guest breathe life into a little mermaid named Ariel and also ushered in a new golden era for Disney animation. And this week, the voice, the heart, and the soul of Ariel joins me to talk about her life and career, both personally and as Ariel, and her new book, Part of Your World. So I am pleased and honored to welcome to the show someone who like Ariel, believes that your dreams don't have to stay your dreams, Disney legend, Jody Benson. Jody, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Lou, for having me. I really appreciate it. I well, really do. It's, Very sweet. Thank you. I, am, I have been looking forward to this for a, a, a long, long time, and I know we have a lot to get to. So we, we know Ariel's story for the most part, but I want to know your origin. I'm a sucker for origin stories. Like I want to know or, your origin story. Like How do you go from the little girl growing up in Illinois that always wanted to be a performer to literally and figuratively going under the sea. That's right. Uh, it was kind of crazy. Yes. I'm from Rockford, which is a town outside of Chicago. And uh, I started singing probably at four or five years of age. My sister taught me how to play the guitar. We used to play for church when I was nine. And um, so it was just music was just a big part of our family but I, I realized, I think at like age eight, that I wanted to do Broadway, you know, singing, dancing and acting, making a living. Uh, didn't want to be rich, didn't want to be famous, but wanted to pay my bills. So I was kind of clear about that. And so, yeah, so I just kind of kept seeing what that looked like, even though I had never 
seen a Broadway show or we didn't really have a lot around us to participate in, but I did a few things in high school and then went to college in Decatur, Illinois, Millican University on a scholarship and wondering, I don't know, maybe I could pursue this musical theater thing and see what happened. So I didn't know if I was any good um, and, and until I went and started to get training and had my first you know, voice lessons and dance classes and first acting classes when I was in college. So it was it was wonderful to get to actually train to do what what I was passionate about. Um, and didn't know if I had the skill set to be able to kind of move forward. So I have a question for you, and correct me if I'm wrong. I I cannot sing, although I did actually start off in college as a theater major. But I think okay. we have one thing in common. I, I used to be a lawyer in my past life. Did you actually start out pursuing a career in law before you made the switch to theater? Well, actually, it was my backup plan. So I didn't know if, if I had the talent to be able to make a living in theater. And so my plan was I went on scholarship as a musical theater major. And so during my freshman year, I thought, well, this will be a good testing ground for me to find out if, if I can hang with the rest of the talented kids here and kind of hold my own. Uh, but if not, I was going to be a lawyer. So I kind of figure I had a, a nice little backup plan in case things <laughs> fell through. So. <laughs> right, because you were smart enough to realize at an early age, going to Broadway does not necessarily equate with making a ton of money, right? You knew you knew as right. an actor's life, yeah. Yes, and I knew that the shows were very limited to be a part of, so you have to piece it all together. And it's not just New York. You know, you need to be able to work all over in regional and national tours and international tours and concerts and then, you know, eventually jumping into the voiceover world. So it takes a lot of pieces of the puzzle to put together a career. Well, your talents were obviously recognized very early on in 1983. You starred in Kenny Ortega's Marilyn and American Fable. And then you move on to a little thing called Smile, which is a Howard Ashman and Marvin Hamlish role. And this is where sort of the connective tissue starts to form between Broadway and Disney, or I should say Disneyland. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So um, doing Smile with Howard and Marvin was very life-changing for me. And I was part of that project for, uh, gosh, probably three or four years, it seemed like, because we were doing backers auditions and we were doing workshops and we were doing a dog and pony show, traveling around, raising funds, trying to find producers. So finally, you know, it came to Broadway and then tragically closed so quickly. And Um, Howard felt sorry for all of us that we had lost our jobs and he felt responsible, although he wasn't, you know, it was a Frank Rich review in the New York times that shut the show down and that's life. There's nothing you can really do about that. So Howard graciously invited a few of us girls to audition for this project. He was working on the little mermaid and knowing full well that we would never get it or even be considered for it. It was just something to do on the way to unemployment office. And, and it was just a lovely thing to have something positive to focus on after the show closed. And you, you talk about in your book, how there's this interesting dichotomy with, with auditioning for the little mermaid. So in, on one hand, 500 plus women auditioned for the role, but coming from the Broadway background, doing this kind of work was not necessarily considered like the most prestigious thing because you were a Broadway performer. Correct. Yes. You know, at at that point, you're talking uh, 1986, 1987. 
And so voiceover work, especially cartoon animation work, was kind of frowned upon. It was something that you did in your career when you were sinking and kind of getting close to retirement or, and it wasn't really considered real work by the theater community. So when I was cast as Ariel and a year after I had had my audition on a reel to reel tape, um, and I was telling a few people about why I was flying back and forth between New York and LA, people thought, well, that's, you know, maybe you'll get a, a real job or maybe we'll actually see you in a film on camera. So I just stopped telling people about it because it seemed to have such a negative connotation to it. So I um, I just was quiet and flew back and forth. And then the movie was starting to have this amazing press around it for our screenings uh, in the September, October range before we opened in November. And I got a call from Disney to send me out on press tour, but I was like, why? Because we were supposed to remain hidden, you know, just like Walt had had desired. You didn't need to focus on who the voices were behind the microphone. You need to focus on the characters. And so it would only just be rolling the credits at the end of your VHS tape and freezing it that you would figure out who's who. So I was really shocked when I got called by the publicity department to go on a press tour. And I did the 22 cities in 20 days. And, um, at that point, I knew something was very, very special about this film, and it was going in a whole different direction than what any of us expected. Well, I want to quickly just, you know, you mentioned, you know, Howard Ashman, and he was not just your inspiration for the audition, literally, but really helped you find Ariel's voice and the preparation for the role. Can you talk a little bit about his his performance that you listened to and then working with him in the studio to find the voice? Yes, absolutely. Well, Ariel really is Howard. All the characters are really Howard and Alan, a blend of them both, because they had created all of the demo tapes of the characters for our songs. And so when I received part of your world, it was, you know, Alan playing the piano and Howard singing on a little cassette demo tape. And it already had all of the nuances and, and, and she was coming to life. And so when I was added into the puzzle, it was just one more piece into the puzzle to be able to bring her to life. And for my lead animator, Glenn Keane, you know, he'll explain to you that the character doesn't come alive until the voice shows up. So, you know, it was really Howard behind Ariel all the way. I mean, every phrase, every nuance, every breath, you know, he was standing to my left for all of my dialogue and and for every lyric of the song directing me and Ron and John, our directors are, you know, animators. They were so kind to let Howard hang out in the studio with me. And he was in the booth with me and he was silent, obviously in between uh, while I was doing all my takes, but they were so gracious to let him go ahead and direct me because we did have a relationship as a director and an actor having just done smile together. So it was a really perfect combination, and and uh, we created a lot of magic in the studio back then. Well, in, your, in the book, you credit a lot of your performance specifically to Howard, and and even yeah. you know talking about part of your world. I, I loved the advice that he gave you, which was to stop singing. You know, it's very interesting as a vocalist who'd been standing on the Lafontaine stage for all the time during smile um, and singing in front of 1500 people telling me to not sing. So it was very hard. And I 
I went through a lot of mind games and had it, having to sort of retrain my Broadway theatrical training and to learn how to get behind the microphone, which I had never done before. So Howard really helped me by saying it's a, it's a monologue and you just need to tell this story and it happens to be on a pitch, but I don't really want you to sing it. I just want you to share your feelings and share what Ariel's going through in the grotto. And um, so it was, it was a real big challenge for me, but I, but I had him next to me as a terrific cheerleader. And I think as a, a testament to you, you talk very candidly in the book about not thinking that your performance is perfect, right? Maybe you you don't feel like you hit every note or maybe a little bit of, of self-criticism, but you talk about not being perfect a, a lot in the part of your world book and allude very early on to this idea of not only not being perfect, but how your faith helps guide you, faith both in yourself and, and, in, and in God and a higher power. And I love how you offer that throughout the book. The book is not just a book of stories. It offers guidance to others, no matter what their beliefs are. Talk a little bit about that, that that feeling of it's okay to be imperfect and faith personally and professionally and how that's helped guide you. Right. Well, I never wanted to write a book in, in a million years. And that's the first thing you'll read from my note is that I never wanted to write a book. Um, but after the publishers came after me a couple, three months in a row, and we kind of went about it as sort of sharing some behind the scenes stories, especially the ones about Howard, that would be lost forever if I didn't share them. So I kind of turned it into these 24 little stories that are behind the scenes, but also offer a thank you, um, shine a light on someone else and what they were to me along my journey of my career. Um, also like a love letter to, to Disney and to Howard. Um, so once I got rid of this concept of I'm not doing an autobiography or a memoir or a tell all by any means, that's, that's not anything that I would be interested in. Um, but I think sharing some stories that would be lost, uh, was something that I could connect to, uh, so a big theme for me is to not be perfect and who we are right where we are is enough. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn growing up uh, because of my childhood and the environment that I was in. And I was a perfectionist and uh, Howard was 10 times more of a perfectionist than I was, but it gave me the freedom in the studio to fail uh, to fail falling forward and to try things. I had never really taken risks before without the assurance that I was going to succeed. And so through Howard and through the process of the film, I learned how to fail and how to make mistakes and how to laugh at myself and how to be content with just me being enough. And so the performance for me of Ariel and the creation of her, she's not perfect. And the song is not a perfect pass, but it's a perfect pass for Ariel. And it's a perfect way for her to share her story. So I think that authenticity and having vulnerability and just being real 
um, translate so much more to an audience than a perfect performance without heart. Speaking of stories, because I have to allude to one more in the book and something not being perfect, I never realized until I read your book that the song was almost cut from the film thanks to a little boy, his popcorn, and Jeffrey Katzenberg? Yes. (laughs) And um, Jeffrey tells the story great. Uh, (laughs) But basically at one of our media screenings with critics and, of course, test audiences of families, all ages, to see what was appealing to all the different age ranges. And during part of your world, a little boy dropped his you know, cup or bucket of popcorn and proceeded to pick up all the kernels and clean up after himself. You know, he was raised well (laughs) to clean up his mess. And um, Jeffrey interpreted that as the child is bored. This song is, is not appealing to children. It won't hold their attention. And Howard said, no, you cannot cut this song because this is the I want song of the heroine and of of the leading character. And if you don't have that I want song, you don't get a chance to fall in love with Ariel, to hear what her heart is and her dreams and her wishes and her goals and her aspirations. Um, And then you're not gonna root for her throughout the whole film, you're just not gonna care. So he said, if you take that song out, it's going to be so destructive to the film. And of course, Howard was right, and and Alan and Ron and John. And so it was Glenn Keane, because the the screening was still half animated, half pencil sketch. So there was some room for some changing. And so it was Glenn Keane that jumped in and said, let me do a couple little things with Sebastian, a couple little things with Flounder at the right time that doesn't affect the song. So there's just little bitty things like that that will catch a child's attention to maybe have a giggle or two and stay engaged so that you don't have the loss of the song. Um, But I found out this weekend at D23 something very interesting. I was a surprise guest for the 30th anniversary of the Muppets Christmas Carol movie. So no one knew I was coming out to sing this lost song called When Love Is Gone that Belle sings to Scrooge when they're younger and um, and he lets his love walk away out of wanting to be, you know, rich. And so um, it was Paul Williams who wrote the song. And so the song was cut because Jeffrey Katzenberg <laughs> said children got restless during the song. Hmm. So the song was actually cut. When the song was cut from the Muppets Christmas Carol, it was lost for 28 years. They couldn't find the negatives to it. And they just found the negatives to it two years ago. And they're putting it back in this anniversary special. So I didn't know that till I was listening to them talk as I was walking out on stage to surprise D23 and sing this lost song. And so I turned to the panel and I said, I know how you all feel. Because my song was almost cut by Jeffrey as well. <laughs> Where would I be now? Thirty, right. you know, thirty-five years later, 
I, I wouldn't be here standing on this same stage singing your lost song. So, <laughs> but Jeffrey's always great about telling that story. And he said it would have been the biggest mistake of my career. Yeah. And you know what I love, Jody, is that this, the, the, the chapter in which you tell this story and all the chapters end with very authentic and very honest lessons that readers can take away. Like how and why did you decide to compose and, and frame the book that way with having these real world lessons that, you know, people can can sort of right. pick and choose to be a, a, applicable to them? Right. I think because I was so against the autobiography memoir sort of platform and the way about going on writing a book. And of course, this is an audio book. I, I literally spoke this book and then it was transcribed. So it was never paper to pen. Um, so once we kind of switched the gears and I thought, you know, if I share 20, I had 65 stories, let's say, and we cut it down to 24. And in so doing, I just felt like I wanted it to be kind of like a daily little book that you could set at the kitchen table or by your bedside table and pick up and just read one little story and then put it away. Cause it's not chronological per se. And it doesn't need to all be read at one time. So if somebody did that, I thought, well, if somebody picks up the book and wants to read one story and then they put it down for a couple of weeks, I'd like to leave them with a little thought, either something that I've learned from my mistakes, maybe a scripture, maybe a word of encouragement, maybe something to just make you pause and think about it. Um, so that's kind of the way that I, that I was approaching it more of like, pick it up, take five minutes, read a little story and then put it back down and then kind of go, Hmm. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder, maybe I'm going to try, you know, she made that mistake. Maybe I'll try this option. That didn't seem to work for her, but I'm going to try this or, gee, I, I never thought about approaching a situation like that before. Maybe I'll give that a try. So it was kind of those thoughts that we wanted to leave the reader with. And the fact that it is these these small, easily consumable stories, it does give you time for reflection after, and then you pick another one up, like you said, at your yeah, convenience. Exactly. If you want to. And, and you know, I, I think for me, again, because this was not something I was passionate about. I, I have a book. I want to write a book. And never, 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 never. But once I got into it, I thought, well, one of three things. Um, if if one reader picks it up and is encouraged by a story or has learned from my mistakes by a story or has stopped to just rethink something in their life after reading a story, then it will have been worth it to me. You know, if one reader is encouraged mm -hmm. by something like that. You know, one thing I've, I've picked up from seeing you throughout the years and, and certainly from reading this book is that you're, you're very humble. You're wonderfully humble, but you are in very elite company, um, not just because of all the awards and accolades, not limited to being a Disney legend in 2011. But you are one of the very few people on the planet that can call themselves a Disney princess. And I think <laughs> I think with that title, not to sort of quote Spider-Man, but with that title comes great responsibility, right? Especially because you are so present at events and, and in the parks. How does it make you feel, right? And, and what do you feel are your roles and responsibilities as the woman who literally breathed life into Ariel for 
you know, new generations that continue to be introduced to her for the first time. Right. Well, I, I take my job very seriously. So it, it means a lot to me. And I'm very honored to be part of so many people's lives, little pieces of their story that I'm entwined in uh, now into maybe four generations. And so I'm, I'm very honored and very humbled to have that responsibility. And at times it's, it's unfathomable and rather overwhelming because I do take it seriously as far as being uh, responsible to represent uh, Ariel and our film and my company. And so when I travel, which is every week, and when I'm down at the parks uh, between Florida and California, um, there is a responsibility. There's a responsibility to stop and greet and meet and take that photo. And, you know, it takes 20 seconds to make a connection with a guest uh, or a fan or just somebody who, who just wants to share a little piece of their story with me. And, um, you know, people are always like so apologetic. I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you. And, and, and I don't mean to bother you while you're at the park. I'm like, listen, this is, this is part of my responsibility. You know, I can stop for 20 seconds to say hello to you and take a photo and, and, you know, show me a picture of you as a, a little child in your aerial costume, meeting Ariel for the first time. And so, you know, to be part of people's history is really, really amazing. And Jody, it's a subtle difference, but I love that you talk about it as a responsibility and you didn't call it your job. And I think there's, there's a huge difference between the yeah, two. Yeah, and it's not because I get to do what I love. I mean, I absolutely love traveling around the world to meet people that have a story and a connection with Ariel and with our film. And I love to hear it. You know, I like, I like to know where they were the first time they saw the film and what they were wearing and who they were with and the impact that the character has had on their life. And uh, it's, it's just mind blowing, you know, the stories that I've heard over the last 35 years. So yeah, I'm very, very grateful. And do you think about that, right? You know, as, as time goes on, we, uh, you're, you're much younger than I am, but we start to think about words like legacy. Yeah. Do, you, <laughs> do you think about how your voice will, it's mind boggling to me that your voice will literally live on forever in the minds and hearts of, of children and families and adults like ad infinitum. Yeah, I know it is. It is mind blowing. It really is. And like I say, sometimes it's uh it's overwhelming, but I'm, you know, I'm so grateful for this little fluke of an audition that I had after a Broadway show closed. Cause you know, if, if smile were a huge hit, um, I don't know necessarily that Howard would have invited the girls for, from our show to audition for Ariel because we had a long running show. We would be under contract for the next year. It would have been very difficult to fly back and forth on a day off to Los Angeles. So, you know, when I start looking back at the mosaic of, of those pieces and how it all lines up, it's, it's really quite magical. And it is, and you're right. It, it appears almost on its face that all of these things just sort of fall into place. But right. we know that there's a reality right behind it and, and sort of thinking about this about this idea of faith in yourself and faith in a higher power. 
what has been, and I know you address this a little bit in the book in a number of different stories, but what did you feel was sort of your biggest challenge professionally and how were you able to overcome it? Because I think for other people, there's a lesson to be gleaned from that as well. I think starting in the business professionally, I was 18 and I feel like my biggest struggle was trying to <laughs> trying to tr- trust that that God had a plan for my life and that he was in control and and that I was going to be part of things that I needed to be part of that I wasn't going to be part of things I was not supposed to be part of because let's face it in our industry when it comes to auditions it's 100 to 1 it's usually 100 no's and one yes um I just happened to have the most amazing yes, you know, with the little mermaid that I would have never guessed in a million years that it would be a job that I'd still be talking about 35 years later. It was going to be a one and done for me really. And so when I look at that and I realize as an 18 year old, I had a lot of insecurity. I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of doubt. I thought I was in control and that I was the one in charge of everything. Um, so that was probably my greatest struggle was learning to let go. Just do the best you can, do the do the best work you can. Um, again, not being perfect and making a ton of mistakes, but doing your best for that day and for that moment and then letting it go. Because going back and reliving the past, there's just no no positive from that. There's no fruit from that. Um, it's not helpful to go back. It really isn't. Uh, so I, yeah, I think for me, that was probably my greatest challenge was learning to not be in control of everything. Cause that's, that's really exhausting and it's just not true. I'm not in charge of everything. You know, I can't tell the casting people and the production team to choose me for a project. I have no control. All I do is walk in a room and do my best and then I let it go and you move on. You move on to the next adventure. Yeah, I mean, especially in in the theater, you understand very well the concepts of fear and uncertainty and rejection and self-confidence yeah. and insecurity and, you know, how life's full of tough choices, isn't it? And, and, right. <laughs> and you know that readers and, and their kids will and do face it every day. And again, it, it's sort of the way that you frame the book. I almost feel like you're you're giving back to them by helping them through maybe not theatrical challenges, but challenges that they'll fi- face every day and sort of yeah. taking away lessons from your stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, w- with young people today growing up in this global pandemic and dealing with social media, I think that there are so many, many, many challenges for this young generation. Excuse me. So I think I think for this generation, I'm, I'm even talking about my age children, my 21 year old daughter, my 23 year old son, you know, dealing with the global pandemic as they're transitioning from getting into from high school into college, from college into adulting. Uh, not only that, and then you add in social media, which adds in the whole compare and compete mm-hmm. equation, which is so destructive. For, for mental well-being. It, it's it's just so painful. I, I'm so glad I didn't have to deal with that as an 18-year-old. Um, I can't imagine adding the pressure of social media on top of my own 
18 year old insecurities and fear and being a control freak. Um, so I really do think young people today have a, a extreme challenge ahead of them of how to find their identity and who they are and not what other people think of them to find that kind of peace and contentment in who they are and that they are enough right now. Um, yeah, I think those challenges are, are, are really difficult, really difficult, but this young generation has the ability to be tenacious and flexible, uh, long-suffering. They have strong motivation as they're driving through this global pandemic. Um, so yeah, they, they have a chance to come out with incredible integrity and really strong character. Yeah, resiliency is something that's being built into the generation that that is following us. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time, Jody. I have a million questions that I could ask you. So how about we just do a couple of very quick, almost like lightning round questions, just because we need to know a little bit more about Jody. You talk about in the book how the first time you visited Walt Disney World, you were around 10 years old. You've obviously been to the parks many, many times since. Favorite attraction in any Disney park worldwide? Okay, well... <laughs> I'm a roller coaster person, so I'm a thrill ride seeker person. So it's always been Everest Expedition at Animal Kingdom, but it is tied now with Cosmic Rewind at Epcot, which is Galaxies. Yeah, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxies, Cosmic Rewind. So Cosmic Rewind and Everest Expedition. They, they're, I, they're love, I love the fact that you're a roller coaster fan. And you yes. didn't just say, oh, of course, I want to choose the Little Mermaid attraction. Uh, do you have a favorite, a favorite dining experience in any of the Disney parks or, or hotels? Oh, yes, I do. Um, really love um, Napa Rose for a date night or with, with wonderful friends out at the Grand Californian Hotel. Love that. And then at Walt Disney World, um, I really enjoy... Uh, be our guest. Hmm. I love that. I love the whole theme of the restaurant and that you feel like you are walking into the movie. That's a, that's amazing. I love that. Um, any, uh, any thoughts or desires to ever go back to your roots and go back to Broadway or, or theater again? <laughs> yeah. I've been asked that question a lot recently now that, that I, you know, we're official empty nesters. Um, in fact, I have my agent asking that right now <laughs> in New York. Um, Yes, you know, the answer would be it would need to be the right kind of a project, obviously, because doing crazy for you for four years was just a dream come true. Everything about that project. And so I left New York after that. It's very hard to compare to some kind of experience like that. So it will, it will be interesting to see if I go back into the theater world whether it's New York or regional or whatever that looks like, it would just have to be the right project, the right time, the right situation for my family. Uh, we live in North Georgia on the lake and in the mountains. And, you know, so to move back to New York city for a period of time would take a family decision. And um, <clears throat> I'd also have to ask the question, why, mm -hmm. why would I want to do it? And that would be an important question for me to be able to answer. Is it for a paycheck? Is it to be noticed? Is it to be remembered? You know, those would all be the wrong reasons to do it. 
it would have to be because I have a special connection to a project or that I just love to share my gift the way I used to, you know, as a young girl. Um, there are times that I miss the theater world, uh, but I also know that eight shows a week for a year, it's a, it's a huge commitment and everything else in life is paused. And right now life is so wonderfully full with travel and concerts and symphonies and voiceover and conventions and everything Disneyland and Disney World that I absolutely love, that I'd be giving that all up. So that's why the combination would have to be, would have to make sense. Sure. Do you have um, do you have a word of advice for anyone who is looking to go into theater or film or or entertainment industry? I'm also partially asking this question for my daughter who is studying stage ah. management now right now and wants to stage manage on Broadway one day. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. When I travel to do master classes about the industry with high school age and college age, it's different than it was like 20 years ago when I was doing this. Something happened with American Idol that switched and made everybody think that they were a star and that everybody's going to be famous and everybody's going to be rich. And something happened with that show that just changed everything. So <laughs> now when I when I'm talking to young people and they ask me that question, I ask them, I say, why? Why do you want to pursue this industry? And if they give me the answer because I want to be famous, I want everybody to see me, I want to be rich, I want to hobnob with celebrities, I'm like, that's the wrong reason. What you need to be saying is that because I have this gift that I feel like I need to share and I'm just going to go for it so that I don't have any regret later on, then I'd say, yes, you need to explore. But you also have to have, it's that, it's that those three, you know, circles and that one sweet spot in the middle, you have to have a natural talent, a natural gift set, natural, that you're born with. Um, you have to have passion about it. And then you have to be able to make a living, you know, not be rich, but you got to be able to survive. You got to be able to live, you know? Um, so people tell me all the time, you know, I want to, I want to be on Broadway and I want to do this. And I say, can you sing? And they'll be like, well, I'm not sure. I'm like, well, you can't learn to sing. You're born with your voice. So if you don't have a natural gift to sing, you probably don't want to do musical theater. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, and I don't know if it comes from parents or from watching TV or social media or YouTube or what, that everybody thinks they're all that. You know, I never grew up with that ever. And they think it's easy. They think it's, they think it's easy too. Well, the thing is, I never knew that I was good. And that was probably really healthy, very healthy. Whereas now everybody thinks they're really good. And the parents think their kids are stars and they're not talented. So they're missing the boat. They need to find out what they're naturally gifted at. Well, they're, they're an organizational. Awesome. Maybe they can produce. Maybe they're behind the scenes. Maybe they, they you know, run the show, run the script. Oh, they're really good with numbers. Great. Maybe they're, they're part of the accounting team for this huge feature film. So there's lots of avenues in the industry rather than being in front of the camera or being the one on stage. So I know I'm horrible at math. <laughs> I count on my fingers. So it's not like I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to be on the accounting firm 
for, you know, William Morris agency. Well, I have no natural giftedness in math whatsoever. So it's that kind of reality check that I try to do with young people, not to be harsh uh, or critical, but say your task is to find out your natural gift set. What's your natural giftedness that you are passionate about? Combine those two, then you're going to be able to find a way to make a living and have a wonderful, wonderful, fulfilling life. You know, 96%, I think it's some crazy amount in the U.S., in the 90s, let's say 90% of Americans who are working hate their job. That, that's shocking to me. And I'm thinking, why? For a better paycheck? I mean, really, there's got to be another option here to figure out how to match your gifts, your passion, and make a living. We, we just have to think outside the box sometimes. You are, you are preaching to the converted, and it, it's, it, it's something <laughs> we're very much in alignment with the importance of your why and your passion and your, your natural gifts. Jody, I, I could talk to you all day, personal, professional, legacy, all these different things. Um, <laughs> the book is fascinating, a part of your world. You can go to part of your world book. Last question for you, what's next for Jody Benson? Well, I am going to finish up our virtual book tour, uh, which I should be finishing up in the next few weeks. And then I'm down to Walt Disney. I'm, I'm gone every week uh, through the end of January. So that's wonderful. I'm traveling between, you know, concerts, between Disneyland, between Disney World, back to Disney World, and, and then traveling all over, doing different uh, events, uh, appearances, and conventions, and concerts. So I'm, I'm very thankful. Great. And I will try and share uh, anything I can about upcoming appearances, especially down in world and, uh, and certainly come to see you <laughs> while you are here. Disney yeah. legend, Jody Benton. Thank you so much for not just your time today and your new book, but for everything that you have shared and gifted to us with the gifts that you've been given um, as Ariel and, and on stage and all the roles. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Nice to chat with you too, Lou. Thank you so much for all your care and your support of the character in our film and of the company. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, hear, remember, or maybe even tasted. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is brought to you by Displate, the high-quality metal poster prints that are mounted on the wall with the help of a magnet, no nails, no levels, no hooks, and millions of designs available with officially licensed art from brands like Marvel, Star Wars, and Netflix. So you can easily build and grow collections of the things you're passionate about and put them right on your wall. I have, I love this plate. I have them in my office, in my son's room, in our guest room. I love how they look. I love how they feel, and I love being able to swap them out very easily. I also love that with every Displate you purchase, Displate plants one baby tree, and to date, they've planted nearly 17 million trees. So your Displates not only make your room and house look cool, but it also helps others in need and makes a real difference. You can check out some of my favorite Displates, including some of the ones that I already own, by going to www.com slash Displate, D-I-S-P. 
P-L-A-T-E. You can also browse the site for millions of other designs. If you find something that you like, if you order one to two, you can get 25% off. Or if you order more than three, you can get up to 29% off if you use our special discount code, which is, of course, WDW Radio. We actually gave away a ton of disc plates in the booth during D23 Expo. They were a huge hit and really a lot of fun. Again, you can go to www.radio.com slash displate to see my collections and order yours. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back to review last week's and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to tell me what food comes flying at you in 3D at the end of It's Tough to Be a Bug in the Tree of Life Theater at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And the answer is, of course, a cup, well, a moldy cupcake. Now, if you remember or have seen the show recently, you know that the finale number has the bees and the dung beetles and dragonflies and ladybugs singing about how insects actually help human. And it is, in fact, tough to be a bug. Weevil comes back and he's holding a moldy cupcake that he sort of throws towards the audience before the bugs chase him so they can have it for themselves. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. And last week, you're playing for a new WW Radio mug, pin and a mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Maria Nascimento. So, Maria, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. We do this every week, and here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, I want you to simply tell me who or what is Big Bertha and where can you find her? Who or what is Big Bertha and where can you find her? The contest runs until Sunday, October 2nd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. All you need to do to enter is go to www.radio.com, click on the week's podcast, use the form there. Again, you're going to play for a brand new WW Radio pin, mug, and a mystery prize. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Thanks again to Jody Benson. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to know from you, is The Little Mermaid your favorite Disney princess? If not, who is and why? I'm going to post this question over in the clubhouse on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Come by, comment on this question, this week's show, anything in the Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars universe, or start a conversation on your own. The clubhouse is incredibly warm, welcoming, family-friendly, drama-free, and a place that you can come and call home. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else on social. You can also email me, Lou, at www.radio.com. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, you can also be on the air by calling the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WW1 with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks. Speaking of community and friendship and family, huge, huge thanks to all the members, new and longtime of the WW Radio Nation family. I sincerely appreciate your friendship and the love and the support and the help, and I love being able to give back to you each and every month with scavenger hunts, trivia quests, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages. Our monthly live group Zoom call had a great call last week. Really, really enjoyed that. Early access and discounts to special events and much, much more. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month. And by doing so, literally helping to bring every episode of WW Radio to life, every live broadcast, the contests and the giveaways. They are thanks to, by, for, about, and with you. I want to thank some new and longtime members, including Randy Weiss, Tony Mendike, Robin Norell, Morgan Thomas, and Ashley Scarpa. 
thank you for being part of the Nation family. To find out more and join the Nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. And of course, as much as I love connecting and having conversations with you online, I still believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. Please visit our events page at www.radio.com events. I'm going to schedule our next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World soon. And also check out other events in world, at sea, and on the road coming soon. And speaking of events, there are now only four seats left for my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, October 22nd and 23rd. If you're looking to build your brand or business or have an idea, product, service, social that you want to take to the next level, Momentum is a 50-person, two-day, one-room event where you will learn, share, network, collaborate, and make real changes to your business, your brand, and yes, your life right in the room. I know what it's like to just be starting out and have nobody to talk to. We're not sure how you're going to take things to the next level. It's why I started Momentum. It's why I want to help you get to Momentum. If you're interested in attending and want to learn more, visit loumangelo.com slash Momentum. And if you want to join, I mean it when I said I want to help you. I want to help you get there. When you check out, if you use code, you know what? Use code PODCAST200. And instead of saving $100 off, you can save $200 off your ticket. That's what I mean when I say that I really do want to help you. I'm literally putting my money where my mouth is. If you have any questions, if I can help you in any other way, just feel free to shoot me an email at lou at www.com or message me on Instagram or Facebook. We have an incredible lineup of speakers and sessions this year. Duncan Wardle, the former vice president of creativity and innovation from the Walt Disney Company, is coming to give an extended workshop. And we're also going to cover things like branding, storytelling, photo and video workshop, growth and monetization, scaling your business, and much, much more. We have more than 20 sessions this year and what I think is going to be our best momentum yet. Thanks as always to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. If you want to come to Momentum or World or Land or Cruise or anywhere on the planet, visit Mouse Fan Travel for the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no cost to you. More importantly, people that genuinely care and treat you like family. It is why we've been partners and why I've recommended and trusted them for you and to you for more than 15 years. Finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, and if you know me, you know how much I mean that. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Share a link to this or your favorite episode on social. Tell a friend. Invite them to subscribe, listen, and join the community. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I want to thank FIFA, who says it's the best podcast ever. Wow, thank you. It helps get me through my work week. I listened all the way back to show one, and I can't wait to listen to all of them again. Wow, that's a lot of loot. Thank you for all the hard work you put into each and every show. Thank you so very much. And thank you, you are my friend, for listening and your time, which I know is your most valuable commodity, the thing you can't get back, and the fact that you spend and share it with me means much more than you know. I hope the show, especially with Jody, helped put a smile on your face, maybe a little inspiration in your heart, and encourages you to choose the good, to find the good in everything and everyone that you encounter every single day, I promise you that a little bit of positivity is contagious and goes a long way. I love you. I appreciate you. I look forward to seeing you this Wednesday on the live show or right back here again next week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison in Flower Town, Pennsylvania. It is Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Getting ready to watch Ondor. Um, and I have a She-Hulk I gotta watch. I am calling, I guess for several different reasons. As far as rock and roller coaster goes, 
I mean, I love Aerosmith. I think it's great the way it is. But I know things need to be refurbished after a while. I would like to see a Monsters Incorporated roller coaster, which is not a new idea, but we need more Monsters Inc. in the parks. I mean, come on. And you could definitely do an amazing roller coaster flying through the scene where they're trying to find Boo's door. So, I mean, it makes total sense to me. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, I really appreciate what you had to say about um, Bob Chapek. Um, I totally agree with you. He was put in a very tough position of taking on the company right at the beginning of a pandemic, which was unprecedented. There was no CEO who's had to do that before. Um, I am like you, an optimist, which you actually made me an optimist. And I try to put my trust in Disney that they know what they're doing and that they always have us in the center of their thoughts. So uh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, Momentum. Um, I'm getting really excited. We are leaving in 29 days, almost 28, where it'll be 28 days. Uh, my son, Chase, he's the youngest, is coming with me. He's 15 and taller than me. I don't know how that happened. Um, excited, super excited. I can't wait to hear Duncan World talk. I'm really excited about that. Um, but, yeah, uh, if you're on the fence, you guys should go. Tell me, you only live once. and um, You want to keep it moving forward. And that's it. That's all I have to say. Everybody have a great night. Um, I did watch the replay of last night today while I was working with the dogs. So even though I wasn't able to tune in. But um, have a wonderful night. Make somebody smile. And I will see you all in the box. Take care. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Hannah from North Carolina. I'm a huge fan, and I just wanted to call and say thank you for all the hard work you put into your show. You are such a light to everyone you encounter, and we appreciate you and your heart so much. I also just wanted to thank you for helping create a space for this specific community of Disney World fans. I feel so happy and comforted to know there are other people out there like me who are so in love with storytelling and all the little details that Disney puts into their stories. Thank you for all of your incredible guests who also share their passions with us. Special shout-out to Jim Corcus, who just seems like the biggest ray of sunshine. I've only been to Disney World a few times, and your podcast makes me so happy and reminds me of being there. Thank you for all you do and for bringing me so much joy on a daily basis. You are so much more than just the guy who knows all the Disney trivia. You are an inspiration, encouraging us to find the good and be the good. You are amazing. Sending love to all the WDW radio fans. Teenagers, they think they know everything. You give them an inch, they swim all over you. And don't underestimate the importance of body language.